0: Engineers might be known for their technical know-how, but combining that with some creativity can go a long way. Sometimes, in order to build a better box, you got to think outside of it. Today, along with special guest Jim Bowersox, we're talking tools of the trade and how to get the most out of them. My name is Mike O'Neill, and this is Gig Essentials. Welcome back to another episode of Gig Essentials. Today, we are talking about tools of the trade for fabrication and maintenance. Uh, with me today, I've got the usual suspects, uh, Mike, Chris, Gene, and Tom. Say hello, fellas. Hello. hello. What's going on? Um, and then our special guest today is Mr. Jim Bowersox, who is the chief engineer of loudspeaker design at Clair. So hey guys. how's it going, Jim? Good, good. Good. Uh, welcome aboard, and we're glad to have you. Oh, good um, to be here. So let's talk kind of, uh, like we said, uh, fundamental tools, right? So how, how are we starting with this? If we're going to be going into kind of the necessary tools for maintenance and some light fabrication, what are the things that we're looking for foundationally? Um, Tom, do you want to start, and we can kind of go around the around the horn here?
1: Yeah, uh, I think the first two tools that I ever got myself into, um, power tool-wise, when I started building things, probably like eight or ten years of age, way too young to be handling power tools, um, my dad had an old Black & Decker little 3.8-inch electric plug-in drill and a matching um, jigsaw. So. With those, I could take materials, I could cut them up, and then I could drill holes in them, and then very poorly install nails and screws to hold those things together. But it taught me the fundamentals and got me there. Gotcha, um, Jim. How about how about you?
2: I'd say my experience was very similar to Tom's. Probably about the same age. Um, we had a jigsaw, circular saw, and a, and a and a drill. All of them at the time, you know, battery-operated tools weren't very good, so they were all you know 120-volt plug-in tools. Just adding to the uh, excitement for a young guy using them, but um, yeah, the same again. Cutting up things, figuring out just how to cut things up, put them back together. Yeah, also poorly. Um, and in addition to that, um, you know, mechanics tools, a full socket set, um, hand tools like that, screwdrivers and things, which um, you know, not quite as exciting as the power tools, but just as uh, just as useful in terms of learning how to do all that stuff and just figuring what can and can't be done with regular things. Gotcha.
0: Functional um chris gene you guys have any any input uh
3: i would say i was less i was less introduced to like power tools in an early age but i was definitely tinkering around with like it's always good to have you know your screwdrivers your tape measures figuring out how you want to work materials in a way that you you can like prep it and get it ready for whatever you want to build so uh you know but it's kind of a similar thing it's just like you figure out how to use a power drill you know somebody shows you how to use it and then you kind of got that skill in the in the bag so it's kind of, you know, it, it wasn't very, you know, interesting or different from anybody else, I would say, from, like, learning how to use tools in that sense.
0: Gotcha. Gene, anything? Yeah, mine was a uh, hand saw and a hand drill. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's all my <laughs> grandfather's stuff. There you go. Nice. Mike, you've got kind of a unique... Uh, I guess perspective on this is there anything that got you started and got you interested
4: uh with a background and like more computer repair and that kind of stuff it's just more or less like basic screwdriver sets there's um some more specialty like tools to like i know some hard drives have different uh like torque screws and that kind of stuff on them but for the most part just different screwdriver sets um yeah
0: awesome awesome Um so let's let's kinda put um a package together. I guess if you're looking for your like your critical tools, right? Um as I think Tom described uh prior to this, uh what's your desert island workbox look like? If you only had a limited amount of space to uh store whatever tools you're gonna need to actually Potentially build something um, or even maintain it. Um, what does that look like? And go back to the beginning, Jim.
2: Um, all right. So you said you want me to go first.
0: Yeah, if you could. Okay.
2: Uh, I would say for a for a maintenance or a light, you know, fabrication uh, type of workbox, uh, I'd start with a good, you know, reasonably good set of screwdrivers. Just you know, five or six that cover all the bases. Um, Allen wrenches, standard and metric. Um, depending on what you're working on, uh, possibly Torx uh, standard or you know, a set of Torx bits, uh, actually a thing to get might be one of those, um, I know Harbor Freight sells them, Amazon, um, a bit set that has Phillips, uh, slotted, Torx, Allen, everything in a small case and then just a hand driver to use that. And I think a lot of those come with the uh, security bits as well, uh, should you need to get in something that has the, you know, the, the Torx screw with the little pin in the center of it. Um, I would do that. Uh, uh, I would have a good multimeter. Um, we're well, not even a good multimeter just a multimeter That's gonna be really really useful You don't need to go out and spend a whole bunch of money on a fluke meter But just something uh, you know, that'll let you look into anything electrical that you might need to repair or service Um, that's where I'd start Gotcha. Um, in terms of uh, Power tools, uh, it's a lot of the 12 volt the small compact like the you know, milwaukee dewalt, whatever um, the 12 volt uh, cordless tools are as good or better power wise than the plug-in stuff that we were using 20 years ago and are certainly a lot more versatile and compact so if you have space in your workbox for some of that it makes things might make things a little bit quicker uh if needed gotcha
0: yeah i've got i don't do a whole lot of electronic stuff but um had a project not too long ago with repainting and rebuilding some furniture for my daughter having that like all-in-one set of like a impact driver and the drill and um with the switchable batteries and all that kind of stuff makes it makes it good for being compact and and that sort of thing so i totally get that yeah and it doesn't Um,
2: need to be expensive either i mean you could just i mean all of them are pretty good especially for occasional use or occasional repairs um anymore that technology is pretty mature at this point and uh you know a lot of good options there
1: yeah i think everybody goes through that cycle of You buy the cheap version of it, you learn how to use it with that, you destroy the cheap version, and then you decide, okay, I'm going to get the better version of it. I think everybody has always started off with like the $19 jigsaw, and then they move up to like the $80 one. You you find it works a lot better, but um, you really needed that first one to kind of tear up and learn. If you can make a really poorly designed or bad quality tool do good quality stuff, then if you have a good quality tool, then you can do even better stuff with it. Gotcha.
0: So I got a, I got a question for, for everybody here actually, and anybody can really answer. Um, what is it like when we're custom building stuff, what is it that sets that in motion? Like what's the decision-making process for that in terms of, uh, like I've, what kind of issue are we coming across where we, where we decide that we actually need to build something that isn't something standard that we can buy off of amazon or you know whatever the the case may be
1: Um, i can probably speak to that um a lot of it comes down to the physical constraints you have of getting things from the shop to the show Uh, so if you have for example um a set of microphones that have to get transported somewhere well it needs to conform with a, a certain size of truck space um, so, a lot of our tools, I would say, even if you are starting a sound company and you don't want to build like an entire road case, having a good set of tools to be able to modify that road case to be able to safely transport the equipment is pretty important. Um, that's why, uh, you know, talking about like the basic tools that you want to have, um, you don't necessarily need the chop saw, the CNC machine, the large table saw, that kind of stuff. You just need basic tools to be able to take. An existing object, and modify it in such a way that it works best for you on the show.
2: And that's a really good way to get started into that. If you're uh, maybe want to expor- experiment with case building, for example, but uh, don't you know a little bit intimidated to start from scratch, or where are you going to get the extrusions of the panels? But if you want to modify an existing thing, um, I mean that's how I started uh, doing cases way back in the day. I got a case that was a little bit too big, and I had to cut two inches off so it packed in the truck better. And, uh, and there you go. Gotcha.
3: I would say just for for like a small antidote, mine was mostly um, a proof of concept. Like in college, I had to, uh, we were given like for one of our final proofs uh, to graduate was like doing an electronics project and I chose to build my own pair of speakers, which was nice. So that was like the first time I had ever dove into that and like figured it out. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, like uh, due to time constraints and stuff, I ended up buying most of the components as far as like crossovers and drivers go but a lot of it was like figuring out how to work with mdf knowing how big i wanted to make everything knowing how to like fit everything together in a nice package and i mean obviously as like a first first time building that it definitely didn't turn out as pretty as i wanted it to be you know what i mean there was a lot of a lot of like jagged edges and things that definitely could have been done better but as far as like borrowing a neighbor's jigsaw and then trying to use a circular saw and like eight by four panels of mdf and building from there it definitely worked, you know what I mean? And, you know, ratchet strapping everything to clamp it down so that the glue set's nice and stuff like that is definitely, like, an interesting journey. So I'd say even from just trying to be creative or trying to prove something or say, like, oh, I have this idea and then I want to implement it as a good way to start building projects, too.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about it in the past, I believe, on a different subject, but, you know, all comes back to the uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? When we talk about, I need to... You know, have this box that fits in this specific space, and so I need to modify it or create something of my own that that works for my needs, right? Um, so that's kind of the 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 catalyst and the the, the spark that's that starts everything off. Um, in terms of where to find this stuff, right? Um, do you guys have any go-tos for where you're? Purchasing gear or purchasing tools and that sort of thing? He
1: has to be a good one for Jim. He's usually the best at finding obscure okay. things.
2: <laughs> uh, it depends on what you want. If you're looking at just start out and want to build a basic toolkit to work on stuff. I mean, again, Amazon, Harbor Freight, you don't need to spend a ton of money. In fact, I'd recommend not spending a ton of money. Go out, buy stuff that's, you know, all that, even the, the less expensive stuff is of, of reasonable quality now. Uh, at least enough to like Tom said use it until you uh, break it if you break it then buy the better one if you don't break it then you've you got a really good deal um, so I would say be smart about that in terms of are you just talking about tools or are you talking about raw materials to to fabricate I mean the tools
1: in general yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah and then if you want something obscure or, or vintage for some reason if you feel the need to uh, now to go get the that black and decker uh, circular saw that your grandfather had I mean eBay you could do that. And then, of course, there's Home Depot and all the usual places. But there, there are so many places online. Um, again, I, I definitely wouldn't go out and spend a ton of money on on fancy tools or, or something that you you really don't need for what you're doing. I mean, if you're in a professional production industrial environment uh, and you can't afford downtime, that's a different story. But if we're talking about a small sound company or you, you know, you're doing some light manufacturing, um, any of the stuff is usually pretty good for that. I think the, the proper tool for the job is far more important than the quality of the tool. Like a cheap wrench that fits the bolt really well and is the right length and the right depth and everything you need is a better tool than the super expensive wrench that you can't get the proper fit on the bolt and you round the bolt head off. Right. So and then usually with what we do. Um, there aren't a lot of specialty tools. It's different if you're in like the automotive industry or something where you might get into some really odd situations. Tom, you, you and I have had a recent experience with that, <laughs> or you need something that just you can't figure out how to make it work with normal off-the-shelf tools, but eventually you figure it out. But working on speakers, cases, uh, electronic equipment, there's that's that's pretty rare that you'd need anything that's um, that's not fairly standard.
1: Yeah. I as far mean,
2: as oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say, and in terms of like. A, for if you're operating a sound company, something that would require probably the most maintenance of anything. I mean, you guys could, uh, Tom, agree or disagree. Um, would be speaker cabinets. Speaker cabinets require a lot of maintenance. Um, and I mean, what we do. Uh, I mean, at Claire, we manufacture the cabinets, but we also maintain them in a separate department. And it's really not that different from someone at a small sound company that has some small, you know, self-powered or portable speaker cabinets versus a touring system. a touring system, there's just there's a lot more of it, but the basics are the same. So just, just you know, establishing a nice set of tools. And again, if you spend a ton of money on tools and you don't want to, that you've got so much invested, you don't want to take them with you. You don't want to take them out of the shop. You want to keep them locked at your house. That's also no good. If you're out on the road or in the field uh, doing an event of some type, and you need to work on something, the best tools are the ones you have with you. So that's another thing to keep in mind: is make sure you have the right tool, but also have it in a uh, in a package that you can take with you when you're out in the field.
1: Yeah, I think. One of my favorite tools currently is the Milwaukee M12 series. Um, if I had to start all over again, I would just start with this, um, principally because this will do 95% of the work you need. Um, I see a lot of people buy like the 60 volt flex, you know, hammer drill, something like ridiculous for boring holes in rock to put dynamite in. But if you're taking a driver out of a speaker, I mean, this gets the job done. I use this thing eight hours a day building cases. I can drills with rivets, plenty of power, and it's got these little batteries that I can interchange with a bunch of tools. Um, and this is small enough I can put in my backpack if I want to, which to have a drill that if I have to take a bunch of screws out of a rack to repair something on site, so much faster. Um, the other thing I have, uh, this for example is I think maybe $70, it was on sale at Home Depot. I just picked it up one day because I saw a good sale on it. Um, I have this little husky miniature ratchet set. Um, again, small enough to fit in my bag. Uh, basic set of electrical pliers. I like these because you have pliers, strippers, and you can cut screws and crimp terminals all in one. Um, my go to for building cabinets and uh, speakers and um, road cases and things is just this basic 18 uh, gauge air stapler. Um, again, this was about $60. I picked it up at Home Depot. Um, and my other go-to is this circular saw. Um, kind of speaking to the, the value proposition of it, I remember I was looking at circular saws, and there's some really nice ones. They were maybe three or $400, um, you know, geared worm drive, super high end for doing home construction. Um, and then there were the entry level Black and Decker ones that I think were about $40. I split the difference. I went to my local hardware store, I paid $120 for this and it's probably the best circular sole I've ever used because it's not super value engineered, but it also for my occasional use where I'm just cutting up panels of plywood, um, it's it's sturdy enough. You know, I don't use it every single day, but I use it once a week um, and because I went for the Slightly higher end model, it holds up really well, and it cuts nice and accurate too.
0: I keep expe- Tom keeps pulling the trigger, and I keep expecting it to go off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you can you make that you happen. If it you it <laughs> <time>. <laughs> it's
3: that classic case where you always got to give it a little couple test presses got to make sure it
2: works. The other, the other thing that's important, we're talking about power tools, um, and I agree with everything you said, Tom. I think that middle, that mid-range, sort of the really expensive like Festool and Snap On, and then like those sort of boutique. Exotic brands are, are pretty much completely unnecessary for what we're doing but um more important than the tool itself when you're talking about cutting tools are the uh, Are the blades and the bits like a, a nice set of drill bits and then just a nice saw blade I mean the 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 crappy blades that come with those things are usually horrible and you end up especially for doing stuff like plywood mm-hmm. I'm fine for cutting a two by four for a deck but it, when you're doing you know a little bit more accurate work Spend the extra twenty bucks or whatever and get like a Diablo or some kind of nicer, uh, a nicer blade. And same with drill bits. Like if you can get uh, a nicer set of drill bits, uh, it'll it'll save you a lot of cursing. Uh, depending <laughs> on what you have to drill.
1: Well, I think also speaking, Jim, because I know we always joke about when we were like thirteen trying to cut up plywood. It's also understanding the proper drill bit and the proper blade for the material you're cutting. That's right. Because we always used to joke about we get like the 400 tooth super fine (laughs) blade and you put in a brand new blade in a circular saw and you start to cut plywood and it would just pour out blue smoke.
3: Because (laughs) even though
1: you think like a real high blade count, it's good. It's not the proper blade. Um, For the same money, you could get a, I don't know, maybe a 60 tooth that would have cut a lot better. Right. Because it's the proper blade for the material. So right. make sure you're paying attention to that. You know, don't right. try and use a wood blade to cut through metal. Don't try and use a metal blade to cut through wood. It's making sure you have the right
2: Neither of those work. We've just asked me how I know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, no, it's it's
1: having the right blade for what you're trying to do or the right drill bit.
2: And another thing, if we're talking about tools, uh for we've kind of gone into the woodworking side of it, it seems like. Um one tool that I I, I used a lot uh growing up, um, and still need it every once in a while, but I hate is a jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, a jigsaw is, is fine for certain things, but in reality, for a lot of what, what I use jigsaws for back in the day, should have I should have been using a router. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another tool that's a little bit intimidating, I think, for people to learn how to use. But um, if you are going to do any kind of cabinet working, any kind of cabinet manufacturing, you really should um, should start looking into um, you know basic you know routing, uh, some basic bits, some uh, chamfers, some roundovers. Um, and learn about how to use templates and guides and things, because you really will get a nicer product and a more repeatable product. Um, no matter how well you set your jigsaw up, it's it's the jigsaw is never a precision tool.
1: Yeah, and I think you and I can attest to the fact that when you discover the roundover bit and the flush trim bit. Oh, it's like it's, you go ooh, from man. like you know this is a pretty good to like wow man i'm a professional speaker manufacturer now <laughs> right
2: right run a flush trim around over and some some uh some paint on that thing and it's a
1: yeah it, it makes is a pro
2: job hugely hugely better but that's another thing uh, to, again you don't have to spend a ton of money you don't have to you know do, you don't have to buy the router bit set that has the 90 cheap router bits in it for you know the that have like the for doing molding and kitchen cabinets and things but uh it's definitely something to uh, that I wished I had spent more time with early on because the uh, results are much better if you're doing uh, cabinet work mm-hmm. or anything. Cabinet work, furniture, um, any even repairs. I mean, I mean, I don't know the repair use for a router quite as much, but anyway, it's a, that's something that I wish I had started with a long time ago.
0: Awesome. Um, so talking about I guess accessories and things that go along with that that main kind of package of of tools that you're you're keeping around with you what are some of the off the beaten path kind of out of the ordinary obscure things that you wouldn't normally expect people to have but you're like you
1: swear by that help. Tom. Sure my favorite obscure thing is the milwaukee m12 again pop rivet tool Um, i used to use air powered riveters to build road cases um, which they work well you have to have a compressor and everything like that but now if i need to do a real quick repair where i just need to replace a ball corner or reattach some extrusion um, this tool uses the same batteries as my drill and you can do pop rivets with it i've built cases probably Put well over three thousand pop rivets through this thing, and it's been the oh. best riveter I've ever had. Nice.
3: I'd say <clears throat> Chris? my Yeah, my favorite would probably be like if you're using electronics and stuff like that. If you're messing around and like you need a set of helping hands, this guy right here has been a lifesaver. Uh, it's got like f- it's just like a different form of helping hands, but it's got like four articulating arms. It's got a little fan that's USB powered, so you can like, plug in and keep the smoke from getting into your face and not breathing in all those awesome fumes. Uh <laughs> other than that, I think just like over time I've just grown to like accumulate a lot of like stuff as far as uh installs and other things go, but like always a nice little backpack to carry everything in is cool. Like having a separate package to hold all of your tools. That way it's just like you grab it, go and you have everything. Uh, I mean, I've got other stuff in here where I know I've got, like, fishing sticks that are used for running wires across uh, everywhere. I mean, it's not so much obscure, but, like, it's that, fishing tape. Um, Some of my other favorite things would be, like, these flush cutters. These large-gauge flush cutters are always nice to have. I mean, I've cut – they're pretty much the only thing I really cut a lot of stuff on unless, you know, I don't feel like grabbing them or, like, they're over somewhere else and i got to use other wire cutters. So, like, these always come in handy for any gauge cable and then – You know anything else you got to be
0: cutting? Gotcha. Mike, you're you're more of the IT side of things. Do you have anything in particular that is useful? Yeah.
4: So one of my favorite things is this iFixit kit. I always keep it with me when I'm on, even when I'm on shows, that kind of stuff. Because it's kind of a well-rounded kit. It has everything you can need as far as like tweezers, spudgers, suction cups, grounding tools, like all that kind of stuff as well as it has this full uh, screwdriver, bit kit, um, extension. It's like a really well-rounded tool. I find myself using it like a couple times a week just for miscellaneous things. Um, I also keep a Fluke Networks um, toner uh, network cable tester certifier in my workbox as well, just so like, most things nowadays do run over IP networks, and you never know when you're going to need to test a cable or build a cable to make like a run work, and you need to certify the run and all that. So, yeah, just good tools that I always keep with me.
0: Gotcha. Gene, you got anything? No, that's pretty much all the same stuff I would be using. <laughs> okay. A man of many words. <laughs> Fair enough. Jim, what's your out-of-the-ordinary?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say it's out-of-the-ordinary, but if I'm out in the field uh, doing anything with a show or a system, I always make sure I have a multimeter with me. I mean, that's one thing that I think, uh, again, you can use it from anything from testing uh, AC power, testing your uh, your the quality of your AC ground. Uh, you can use it to test uh, your mic cable, speaker cable, any kind of analog cable, basically, for continuity or, uh, or wiring problems. I would say over the years. Um, <clears throat> that's probably the most useful thing to have in the field that I would take um, That and a, and a good soldering iron that's another one that you know That's I don't usually take that in the field, but a bench top a nice station um, That's one thing that I wish I'd spent a little bit more money on uh, Starting out as well. So once you, it's the same thing once you go to a If you can do it with a with a bad a cheap soldering iron Then you get the you good go. one and you and you look like a pro <laughs> And Tom was holding up one for show-and-tell
0: Yep, there you go. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I think that about wraps it up for today. Um, unless you guys have any additional input. No? What, okay. what do you think? I got one for Tom. Ooh, go okay.
2: ahead. Go ahead, Jim. What do you think, Tom? Compressed air in the shop, yes, uh, necessary or not uh, in 2020?
1: I would say if I was just doing daily maintenance, no. Um, it is good to have, I wouldn't do a full-size compressor. If I was just running an audio shop, I would have one of the little pancake ones, or maybe mm-hmm. like a little two-gallon, which is good for cleaning off equipment and also good for truck maintenance if you have to inflate a tire. Um, but I have found over time as the batteries get better, I've replaced a lot of my stuff with battery-powered gear that normally ran on air.
2: Cool. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Unless you actually need air to blow up a tire or blow some gear off, the the battery stuff does pretty much everything
1: yeah I mean I think the only thing I hold on to for air powered stuff is my oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. air nailer which you know I, I don't think there are a few of them out there but they're not prolific enough that like everybody has an air nailer so once they become a little bit more easily battery powered then I'd probably go for one of those
0: hmm. cool that is an excellent question thank
2: you
1: Jim oh and one other important thing safety glasses oh yeah don't destroy your eyes <laughs>
2: they're kind of important Got them here and don't destroy your forehead, that's where they're usually sitting <laughs> <laughs> Just one other little tip is always have a hand of this around too.
3: WD always comes in handy, yep. so.
2: Awesome. Well, I
0: appreciate all of the input today, gentlemen. I, I have Jim. one more thing, I don't oh, want to interrupt sorry, you. Quick, don't, yeah.
2: <laughs> don't, no, no, I don't no, want interrupt yet, you, but reasons. I'm going to. Don't be afraid to fix and maintain your own stuff. Tom and I were talking about this. There's a culture today, for some reason, That is very discouraging uh, on people fixing or maintaining their own equipment, be it cars, trucks, audio gear, stuff around your house, especially with the Internet. There's so many good resources. If you don't know what you don't know how to do it, you know, chances are there's someone out there that's done it already and done a nice write up or a nice instructional video. So that would be my advice. Just go out there learn how to fix your own, learn how to fix and maintain your own stuff. It's going to it benefits you, you know, in many too many ways to talk about right now.
0: Absolutely. I I remember, I have memories of my dad 30 plus years ago, you know, back in the mid 80s and whatnot of my dad, you know, going to a little bookshelf next to our, our TV cabinet and pulling out this like gigantic, like three inch thick manual of, of just how to fix basically <laughs> everything, whether it was, you know, uh, auto related or just, uh, you know indoor plumbing that sort of thing and now you have google right right right. and youtube and you have all of these resources that um really help with uh maintaining self-sufficiency right Mm -hmm. you don't have to you know if you can learn how to change the oil in your car you're saving yourself however much money it's going to cost you every single time you want to take it down to you know the local
2: mechanic or some
0: yeah you're saving money
2: And time and you and you sort of you demystify it a little bit and then you learn a little bit more about how things work Sure, I think I don't know why but again, it seems to be a cultural thing that nobody wants to do it But it's it's almost a state of mind uh, Once you get once you realize like the more stuff it's self-fulfilling the more stuff you repair and maintain and work on Then the more you realize you can do and the more you want it at least that's how it is for me it
1: certainly Something. helps on shows too you know if, oh if God, you get yeah. the proficiency up in the shop of like oh this is how i fix a speaker when you're out on a show and that speaker dies you're not just standing around scratching your head you can just dive right into it because you've done it so many times you've practiced it you understand how to remove a bolt without stripping you understand how to you know solder a connection back on because you've done it just so many times it's practice
2: right yeah, what better time to practice than in the shop when you're maintaining stuff? So when you are out there in a time-sensitive uh, environment, that you can repair things and not have to rely on a, you know, necessarily a replacement piece of gear or you know have uh, problems with the show. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And what a better time to do that than now? All right. Practice some <laughs> skills. Start.
2: So and Tom, I don't know if you did. Th- I actually I do know that you did this, but I, I I'm sure I drove my parents crazy taking everything apart when I was a little kid. Yep. I mean, talking back to four or five years old taking apart anything electronic, anything that moved, anything mechanical. I would, mean, You know, it was it was a, many years before they successfully got reassembled. But, you know. <laughs> We're building radio
0: antennas, apparently. Yeah.
2: That's right. <laughs> On the roof of your yeah, I can, I can <laughs> attest to the
0: taking
4: apart everything as well. Like, when I was younger, I was taking apart my parents', like, first computer and everything. When I was, like, five years old, like, oh, how does this work? Oh, like, what's this? Oh, well, then the- you're- here's how you stick like another like CD drive in there. Cause back then it was cool to like copy CDs or like whatever you're doing. Yeah.
3: So <laughs> I've definitely gone on that wave too. I ended up fixing a laptop that I thought was dead for a couple of years just recently too, which is nice. So
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean financially and, and otherwise it's a really great thing to have. And again, you start to, like I said, for in our business, take the sound business again, I'm, I'm, We're going off on a tangent again, but you look at a lot of these things like a, like a take a large format line array speaker. You know, it looks complicated to the to someone who's not used to it. And then you start, you know, digging into it and you find out that it's not really that complicated. There are not a whole lot of um there's not a whole lot of mysterious pieces that no one could ever understand. You know, it's very serviceable. It's a simple machine. And uh, you know, it again, just again, an audio business, start learning about it, learning how it all works. And it's the better the more you understand your gear, the better you're gonna be at every part of this business, whether it's mixing, system teching, uh even just setting it up maintaining it working in the shop uh the more you know more knowledge is more better more better yes
0: more better. my shop shop teacher used to say all the time more better it's more better That's right. um <laughs> uh thank you gentlemen for your time jim thank you we really appreciate you coming on uh today i know that i personally learned a lot today um you know not normally being out in the field being kind of behind the desk um on the you know the more business-related side of things, so um, I really appreciate all of the input today. Um, that should wrap it up for today, guys. We'll uh, see you next time. See you then. See you all right. next time. Sounds good. See ya. See you guys.